In the trenches every day, cause I stay on my grind. If they hate, they let them make, cause they won't stop my shine. See me running to that money, I just want what's mine. No, I don't waste no time. No, I don't waste no time. Whoa, 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 I don't waste no time. Whoa, Welcome back to the Feed Your Brain podcast. My name is Max Elster, and I'm happy to be back with an English episode, also um, a guest that is not too close to Germany, um, basically in Tokyo, which uh, which is interesting since we have a lot of time difference, but uh, which um, which probably makes the podcast not uh, less interesting. Uh, we have uh, Misha Yurchenko in the podcast, a Tokyo-based blogger and entrepreneur, calls himself um, a digital media consultant and connector, which uh, I find cool because we actually got connected on LinkedIn quite recently. Um, and um, he's very deep into the whole blockchain industry part because he has been uh, interviewing different thought leaders around the globe about uh, the blockchain industry and about, um, yeah, really the, the steps that have been covered in the last years and he's also very deep in his own personal blog which uh, which I love I also could uh, deep dive a little bit so I'm happy to talk a little bit about blockchain and the different uh, personal development parts and uh, bring the topics together together as uh, Misha would say he's uh, he's a good connector so I'm sure it, it will uh, work out uh, Misha very happy to have you on the podcast yeah, yeah th thanks for having me Max I'm excited sounds good um, I mean you are based in Tokyo right is that correct for the listeners <laughs> Yeah, so I'm uh, in the heart of Shibuya, Tokyo, which is near the famous crossing where thousands of people are just crossing the street every five minutes. So it's pretty pretty chaotic, but um, but I've been able to uh, find a quiet spot here to talk to you today. So right, right. that uh, that's cool. definitely true. Um, which 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 is cool at first. Uh, maybe as you are in Japan, for a lot of people um that haven't been there, I also haven't been there. Uh, my co-founder was actually just been there, came back like a couple of days ago. I uh, was very um, surprised about uh, the working culture and uh, yeah the 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 love for the detail um, and and the respect that uh, Japanese people show towards um, foreigners. Maybe can you tell us a little bit about the the culture, the the working culture, um, what's happening in Japan, and maybe how is it different from uh, other states you have seen? Sure, sure. That, that that's a pretty big question, but I uh, interestingly, so when I first came to Japan, I, I got here about. Six, six and a half years ago. And my first job in Japan was in the recruitment industry in HR. So I was actually working with a lot of Japanese companies as well as foreign companies that have set up here to help them hire sales and marketing executives. So I got a firsthand view into, you know, what, what these hiring practices and work cultures are actually like. And it's uh, very, very different than Europe and, and uh, very different than the US as well. What, one of the, one of the key differences here is, that the the work culture is I mean work is really seen like family here which is uh, good and bad I suppose but um, people are essentially you know they're dedicating their entire lives to uh, oftentimes to one company and that uh, in, in exchange for that dedication they get a lot of uh, benefits and perks uh, the main one being lifetime employment so it's, it's very very hard to fire people in Japan. And uh, legally, the, the labor law is on the side of the employee. So when I was when I was working, I remember, uh, you know, we actually had to let uh, a couple of people go from from my from my team. And you know, you couldn't just sit them down and and uh, write up a, a couple of reasons and, and, and fire them. It was a very very lengthy process. We had to have uh, weeks and weeks of documentation and and email evidence and all these different things. 
but before we could even let somebody go. So mm-hmm. on one hand, you know, that's great for employees <laughs> who, uh, who don't want to work hard, but uh, it's terrible for the labor market and the economy because you have a lot of stagnation from uh, people that are just kind of sitting around in middle management, uh, not, not really doing much. So I, I think it's one of the big challenges for Japan is, is changing that, that labor system uh, in order to, to, to boost the economy. And is it um, like what's what's the the blocking system? Is it or the blocking part? Is it the 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 people or is it the the government that more or less blocks the current uh, or blocks the change that needs to happen in order to to have a different uh, working ecosystem? I, I think it's a little bit of both. There's there's okay. definitely a lot of startups in Japan that are forward thinking and progressive and and uh, aggressive as well. So. Uh, those younger CEOs that have spent time abroad primarily, they'll come back with a different mindset and they're able to kind of uh, push a slightly different system and, and different incentives. And they're also more careful about hiring. So, so they, they, they don't just hire whoever and, and, and give them a, a lifetime job. So, so there's definitely some change there. But, but I think for the larger companies, the larger conglomerates like Dentsu, which is the largest ad agency and Sony and Panasonic, all, all the large Japanese have this lifetime employment system and all those guys at the top are very closely tied with the government so it's it's not as simple as just changing it because i think there's um, incentives on both sides to not change it and not disrupt the status quo so it's, it's going to take some time and i think it's going to take a lot more um, innovation and just young entrepreneurs and young ceos that are leading the way before any any big big changes happen Fantastic. So the the startup ecosystem has not been like the the big big uh, part of of, of Japanese uh, company culture, right? It, it's still something that's growing, right? Well, well, there's actually in terms of startups, there's actually quite a few startups in in Japan, and there's definitely a, a strong ecosystem. But in terms of funding, a lot of the funding comes from corporate venture capital because um, there's not there's not that much traditional VC here, and so these large Japanese companies, like they want to be involved and they want to, uh, they want to, you know, grow their businesses in, in this current economy, but they don't know how to. So their approach is essentially kind of spraying and praying different investments across startups that are interesting. So actually there, there's quite a lot of money flowing in Japan and it, it's not a bad place for a startup, but for, from a talent perspective, you know, hiring people that speak English or hiring people that, have launched a global product. I mean, that's very hard because most of the products here are, are very Japan centric and they're built with a, uh, a Japan focus. So, so I think there's, uh, there's definitely pros and cons, but it's, it's not a, yeah, it's, it's not a bad place to launch a startup, but I would say it's better to scale a startup here rather than launching it from, from zero because you have a great lifestyle and you have, uh, you know, good resources and potential investment, but, Mm. not not really when you're just starting up so if that if that makes sense okay yeah definitely i mean um that's it's it's great that you share that because i think um expanding internationally into asia is definitely something that a lot of startups in europe also um are interested in and um in, since you say okay it's 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 probably a good place to scale uh, that that's that's um that's something that that would very fit right into the into the strategy i think of of many startups wanting to expand into other continents and countries um which which is fantastic i think thanks for the for the insight here um <clears throat> 
now i think blockchain is is part of one is is more or less one movement of the digital innovations that that happen that are currently happening uh, throughout the globe and you are more or less part of the movement part of um understanding uh, the industry and making it visible for people why exactly do you find it interesting to um, to to talk mm -hmm. about blockchain and why are you actually a part of it yeah good question so I uh, I got into trading cryptocurrencies originally about three years ago. So I still had a full time job at the time, and we were working. So we were working with a, a Bitcoin related company, and I remember uh, we sent them an invoice, and they they only wanted to pay in Bitcoin. So this was this was very strange for our CFO because he he was quite shocked, and the traditional Japanese CFO he, he didn't want to do that, and. Uh, at the end of the day, we, we did, we did pay them in Bitcoin and, and we got it sorted out. And the, uh, the legal, uh, the regulations in Japan are actually quite clear and, and Bitcoin is legal tender here. So you can't accept it. But, um, at the time it was still kind of surprising for us. So, so that was, that was my first kind of, um, uh, you know, jump into, uh, to crypto from, from a, from the business side. And then that just kind of got me interested in, in, uh, into what it was. And I, uh, I started researching, like, reading books and uh, following Andreas Antonopoulos, which is a, um, he's a quite prominent speaker in, in the crypto space. Awesome. And Andreas Antonopoulos. Okay. Interesting. Just to, to write it down so people can get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can send you his YouTube channel link. He's, he's uh, definitely one of the uh, most dedicated people in, in crypto. And he's been traveling around, I think the past just 10 years talking about Bitcoin. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I, after that, I, mean, I, I was just enthralled with the, with the whole ecosystem. I think one of the, uh, you know, one of the personal reasons was because, uh, my, I'm actually originally, I didn't mention this, but I'm originally from, from the Ukraine. So I was born there, but I grew up in the U.S. and I was born in uh, Crimea, actually. So, right. you know, if, if any, yeah, as, as you, as you're familiar, uh, there's, there's some, <laughs> some issues there. Uh, there have been some issues there the past few years and, there's uh, embargoes from most of the world and uh, you cannot actually send goods or uh, products or transfer money in and out of Crimea mm -hmm. from a Western, Western bank. And so my grandma and some of my extended family still lives there. So this was an interesting dilemma. You know, how do you get money uh, to, to a place where they, they've shut down um, that flow? And so Bitcoin is, is one, one solution and one option um, that that came up, and I think that that's just a it's a very specific use case. But you can you know you can uh, pick a lot of different similar use cases um, in in Venezuela and Greece and a lot of places that have had a financial crisis or you know lack of government stability to their their their, their fiat currency. And uh, I think that's what initially got me interested in it. And then um, yeah, later on it was just how do how do I make money from it because everybody was kind of jumping on the bandwagon. And, I was, of course, excited to, uh, to to be trading as well, but uh, you know that that went up and down. But uh, after after everything crashed, I was still still very interested in in the crypto space, uh, more yeah, more on the economic and technical side. So I, I uh, yeah, I started writing about it more more frequently, and that that's where I am today. But but yeah, I guess it started out with with that sort of a very personal cool. interest. Interesting. I mean, so it feels like you um 
you are also believing strongly in in the technology and in the in the idea behind it right you're not just investing in it uh like yeah. um, like an investment fund like uh, you're really believing in the technology since as, uh, as you already mentioned Uh, especially after its downfall a couple of um, months years ago, um, a lot of people didn't believe in the technology and the idea behind it anymore. And you are part. Did I understand correctly that you are definitely a strong believer that blockchain and especially the Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency will last and will help to really revolutionize the current um, payment ecosystem, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I really, I mean, I look to people a lot smarter than myself. When I say this, <laughs> there, there, there's so many, there's so many entrepreneurs and and investors and uh, tech investors with with amazing track records, like Chris Saka and and Tim Draper and uh, a, a lot of a lot of big names that have been around it, and uh, you know even um, even Jack Dorsey. I mean, I mean, there, there's so many people that have their own different reasons and incentives, but when 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 you have a certain subset of people that know what they're doing and they know about tech and they have track records, I think that 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 really gives it some credibility from, from one aspect. But, um, but, you know, like you said, I, I definitely do. Yeah. I do believe that it's transformational. And I think for right now, I think more so for the developing world, uh, when people ask me about Bitcoin in, in the U S or friends I have in, in Texas where I'm from, you know, it's, there's not really many use cases on a day to day basis. I'm not going to be using Bitcoin to buy my coffee because I think the price is going to go up, so I don't really want to spend it, and that that still remains true. But uh, I think for for the rest of you know the developing world, money does face borders and serious restrictions, and so there are plenty of people in Venezuela and China who are happy to to keep their money in cryptocurrencies because they they, they don't trust the government necessarily. And I think that's that's still a, a really you know important use case that we don't really think about sometimes in the West because we don't have that problem and, and we do have relatively stable banks right so. right and you I, i mean you're a perfect example of a a use case with your with your grandma uh, or your mother yeah. i think um your grandma who my grandma um, yeah Right, who's who's in in desperate need for um, for maybe money, and uh, if there's a chance to to actually send her money via bitcoins, I mean that's a it's a great way or great strategy to do so. Um, and what you already already mentioned is, I think the underlying system, which is the blockchain, is actually the the technology that helps um, to to um, to make money transferring easier and to make it possible for countries that where the gov government is not as um, stable maybe as, as some western countries um, are um, I think that's something right. where the blockchain industry as itself can definitely help I mean I've been to Africa last year and um, have, I've seen uh, the struggle of really Uh, people not getting to any money because the the, the ATMs are just not closed and not, yeah. not able for not able to 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 uh, to give access to the people. And I mean, for those kind of people, uh, I think the technology at first for for the first go to market could be a very interesting, a very interesting objective. And what I want to go into here and from a, from a topic perspective is, I have the feeling that the blockchain industry is still. Um, like there's of course a, a shift happening towards like an a, an overarching software that is controlling the whole ecosystem, but I think it hasn't really happened yet, right? The shift is not right. really um, at 100 now. We are not feeling it uh, globally now. Why do you think that this shift not happened yet? What's what's uh, what's like the, the 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 blocking part of it that's not, that's sure. uh, helping uh, not helping the, the people to really understand that blockchain is now part of everyone's lives? 
Sure, sure. So I, I don't think it is part of everyone's lives yet. And uh, I, I think there's still a lot of work to do. And that's that's something to, to, to keep in mind and keep in perspective that, that Bitcoin has only been around for about 10 years now, just hit its 10th anniversary recently. Mm. So t- 10 years is a pretty short time. And you know, if you if you look at any any big invention in the past hundred years, I mean, people were uh, you know using using the internet with just a, a few different network connections and computers for for years before it went mainstream, and then it was years before anything like Google or Facebook emerged. So I think, relatively speaking, we're we're still very very early, and uh, especially with something like blockchain, which is it's it's very disruptive, right? Because it's essentially you're changing a lot of different rules about business, but then it's still bound by some of the same rules, right? You still need to build a company. You still need to hire people. You still need to manage your finances and and and, and scale uh, with whatever blockchain solution you might have. And so, a lot of the a lot of the people in the space uh, that initially kind of came in, there were a lot of developers and. A lot, of, a lot of people lacked, a lot of teams lacked the business fundamentals and the valuation models and the people management skills. And this is something I've, I've seen and heard from a lot of entrepreneurs who are entering the space is there's just a lack of know-how. And so, so I think as, as the space gains more credibility and there are some killer apps that are built, I think that will continue to attract more senior, uh, more, uh, yeah, just more people into the space that are experienced that can actually Come in and, and create, you know, create create great products because you need, yeah, you, you need you need a certain number of, of um, you know people in the ecosystem. I think there are quite a lot right now, and, and there's lots of people working on great things. But um, it, it's it's still, yeah, it, it, there's still a lot of work to do, and I think it's going to take it's going to take years and years before we see, um, you know, you know, we, we, you know, we, we see it um, all over the world, and and. I don't think we will notice it when it's around, right? Like we don't really talk about how the internet works. We don't talk about how airplanes work. We don't. We don't really know how these things work on a technical level. We don't think about it because we don't need to. We just use it. So, ideally, we live in a world where we don't really talk about blockchain. We just <laughs> we just kind of use the services that that it gives us, right? And and that's kind of I think one of the yeah one of the visions from a lot of these guys is um, how do how do you make it integrated and you know integral to to other um, you know technologies and and uh, not really talking so much about blockchain, right? Um, just kind of the, the the user interface and the front end of things. So, right, right. I mean, there is like the quote that as soon as um, as soon as your mother <clears throat> and your your family starts talking about a new technology, you know that it's already becoming mainstream. And and I've I've realized that my my parents yeah. have have been talking more and more about the blockchain industry and trying to understand it. And which which gives me the idea, okay, now it's really coming to the people and people starting to realize that it's not just a hocus pocus uh, topic. It's really something where where people um, can actually uh, see the benefit of it. Um, and I think that's that's something that needs to happen first. First, uh, edu- educate the people and then right. really bring bring technology to to the to the plate. Um, why do you think, um, like you already mentioned it, like, of course, the ecosystem of startups, maybe of companies is not big enough yet that it's really becoming mainstream, mainstream. What else needs to happen? Like, how exactly do we, do we need to act now in order to make the shift? Like, is there anything else from like a political perspective, uh, from, from a sociological perspective, from a business perspective? What else needs to happen now in order to really make that shift from, okay, it's a cool new and very safe technology to, okay, now, 
it's something that everybody uses and it's uh, just part of of um, of of, uh, of companies technology of companies technology architecture yeah yeah that's that's, that's a good question I, I think there's definitely going to be some turning points and and one of the one of the big one of the big turning points will be when we actually have a a stable like a worldwide currency that has the stability of a fiat currency like the US dollar or the euro and that's actually used as a reference point you know for prices and exchanges and that, that's not really i mean bitcoin is kind of like that to some level but it's definitely not stable and it's not <laughs> um it's not used as a reference right so right. so i think once we have that you know bitcoin or whatever stable coin alongside other fiat currencies i think that's going to be a huge step and in order to get there we need we need uh, to solve some some critical issues and, and and one of those issues is scalability of course i think that's something that's talked about a lot is how do you how do you uh, process more transactions and there's lightning network and there's there's a lot of different solutions that are being proposed and uh, it may not even be bitcoin right it could be something else that emerges that that solves that issue but uh you know there, there's some really core technical you know, technical issues uh, from within scalability that need to be solved. Uh, there's also just the, I think there's the general um, kind of atmosphere and understanding of, of crypto. I think a lot of the, sorry, what I mean to say is the, um, the reputation and the cred credibility. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that is quite negative because of, not just because of the price going down and, and because we're in a bear market, but also because a lot of these exchanges these crypto exchanges have proven to be hackable and not very secure. So there's, uh, you know, there, there's some there's some good exchanges. Of course, Coinbase is is kind of a leader in the U.S. and they're doing a lot of great things. And I, I think we can we can learn from them and other other exchanges around the world can can uh, you know uh, take some lessons from that. But not there's not very many globally that that have a good track record. So I think once once we solve that. The issue of just just having uh, obviously government regulated and secure exchanges that people can actually trust, where it's not being hacked every few months. Then I think that that's also gonna that's gonna be very useful and, and helpful for individuals, just the average consumer, to to trust you know this institution um, or this exchange with with their uh, with their money. And then and then perhaps the third thing is just combining both of those. It's also just the the user interface and usability. It's still quite complicated to use all this, right? Like you have to download a wallet and you have to have this, you know, private key that you, you know, you can't share with anyone, but then you can't, you know, you, you can't recover it if you, if you lose it and not like a bank at all. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not really, um, it's not really a, a good user interface or user experience. So we have to get past that where it's as easy as opening up your Instagram app and sharing a photo and we're nowhere near that. So, so I think those are kind of three key, three key issues we need to, to, to solve first and then from there i think um things will snowball so right i love it i mean that's um you you clearly um um separate a little bit into like the political perspective the, the maybe more sociolo sociological perspective and also the business perspective and how it's all come together in order to um in order to really make that shift i think what's what's interesting for me from like an objective perspective is that of course people are very skeptical about it because they have been using currencies um in their lives that were were like part of the government system very stable very organized more or less it didn't really of course we had some financial crisis that um that actually made um uh, made currencies um 
stagnate or change in a bit. But I think um, as long as it's part of the government, people have trust uh, that it's uh, it's somehow in safe hands, whether that's a good thought right, or right. a bad thought. I don't want to comment it or I don't want to uh, have my own interpretation into it. But I think that's something that people are, do believe in. And as long as <clears throat> blockchain doesn't really have the trust of the government, it really or the blockchain industry fully doesn't have the, the, the trust of the government, people don't really believe in it 100%. Like 100%. I think there's still that trigger missing. And as soon as the trigger is coming, I think people more and more believe that um, uh, that, that the technology and maybe the currency that's going to develop out of it, whether it's Bitcoin or not, can be, um, can be the next big currency that's going to transform the way how we interact with money. I think that's uh, something that, that I wanted to share. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just talking about just briefly about Asia, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of young people in Asia that are, you know, millennials, especially that have just grown up in the internet age. And it's a lot easier for them to, to roll with this and to kind of imagine it. So one, one good example is Indonesia, which I, I've, I've visited Jakarta a couple of times. And it's about, I think, a 250, 260 million people and over, I think over 50, 50% of those people are under the age of 30. So it's a very, very young population. And many of them, m most people don't have banks there because, because of the just the level of income. Banks don't want to, uh, you know, bank people that have, you know, below a certain level. And there's also just the, the, the fragmented country in terms of geography. Uh, there's just thousands of islands. So physically it's hard to have all these ATMs and banks. So there's a few different historical reasons as well. But there's a, there's a company that came in called Gojek. Which I'm not sure if you're familiar with. No. But uh, yeah, so they're like the Uber. They're basically like the Uber of, of Indonesia. And okay. instead instead of cars, they have motorbikes. And motorbikes are just so so ubiquitous and popular. I mean, everyone has a motorbike. In oh, they called Gojek. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, G O dash J E K. So they they raise a lot of money, and they're I think the first unicorn. Um, company out of Indonesia, unicorn startup. So, so they, um, you know, they had a problem in paying paying these drivers. Like, how do you pay them? They don't have a bank account. They don't have PayPal. So, so they developed their own payment system. And so you have tens of thousands of drivers that just have this Gojek app, and and then, uh, you know, they're accepting money into the app even though they don't have a bank account. And uh, Gojek expanded that entire ecosystem where uh, where you can pay for different things, and you can buy things online, you can go shopping, and so. So it's this private company that's essentially solved this this banking payments gap for the for the underbanked, and I think that's a lot more common in Asia because it's a you know there's a lot of developing countries, but that's maybe not as evident or clear in 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 the West. So that's just one example I wanted to share where I think it's easier for those sorts of um, you know countries to imagine a, a life with a digital currency that's um, the first thing they see rather than going switching from a bank to a digital currency because they never never had a bank so right i mean that's interesting because it really shows that um like it's it seems like there it has been there has been probably way more complicated views on that and the, the startup actually just needed to solve their own problem within their own software um, yeah. which is um how do we pay our drivers um, and they find the easiest way through their own um, payment system, which is great. I think that's a good way of, okay, testing a very, very small market. And of course, since the startup is expanding um, and we are not just covering the drivers, potentially you can really expand 
and learn from the from the experiences there and really um, duplicate that on 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 the government or on the nation itself. I think that's a cool a cool example. I'm, de- I'm definitely going to check it out. Go Jack. Maybe I'm also going to put that into the show notes for everybody interested. Um, maybe finally, maybe before we cover into like the little personal part, which I find very cool as well. Um, what which risks do you actually see um, or um, threats uh, in regards to the blockchain um, industry? Uh, is there anything where you say, okay, if that's going to happen, that's going to um, that's going to flush the whole system? Or um, is there anything where you say, okay, we need to pay attention to a certain topic uh, in order to really sure. make the shift happening? Sure. So I, I don't know if I see any massive threats, but I would say one one of the the big uh, fears that I would have, and, and one of the things that kind of annoys me as well is, is when either a government or a company or a financial institution is coming in and, and trying to make their own cryptocurrency coin. And on, on one hand, it, it seems like a good thing because they're, they're kind of forward thinking and they're uh, adapting this new technology. But then on the other hand, it's just a different form of control. So, so I think a lot of, a, a lot of these blockchains that they'll create are not public blockchains like they're they're private within within their company and, and they essentially control control that blockchain so it's it's more about efficiency and, and tracking rather than um, actually taking advantage of the whole peer-to-peer nature and transparent nature of blockchain so so there's a lot of different ways that you can use blockchain and the way that you know you use bitcoin is it's peer-to-peer it's borderless it's trustless it's um you know it's digital and and, and it's global and 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 there's a blockchain aspect. I mean, that's just one aspect of it. So, so I think my fear is that you have a lot of companies that are kind of taking away all the good parts of Bitcoin and then only kind of focus on the the, the tech part and uh, maybe maybe not the others. So, so that that's one fear. Okay, cool. I mean, that's yeah. an interesting one. Um, so really putting it actually off of the government side a little bit. Um, cool. I really like the chat about the the blockchain part. Um, maybe we can go a little bit now into the into your personal part because I th- uh, you've been uh, you've been doing a personal blog which I really like. You cover different hey. topics like meditation routines and just random topics that interest you at the moment, which is also part of my strategy behind the podcast, really to to build up own thoughts and really um, deliver it to the people. Um, and I think there's been a lot of topics that that are definitely interesting to the listeners as well that you have been covering. Of course, we're going to put your blog into the show notes. Maybe from a little more com like um, composed um, uh, standpoint, what has been something in the last like 12 months that has changed your behavior towards a topic where you have written about um, in specific? Sure. So I think one of the the most um, interesting experiences, one of the most challenging experiences. But also eye-opening has been my 10-day retreat that I took uh, almost exactly a year ago, and actually I think it was it was last March in India. And you know this is kind of very stereotypical. You know, I'm this guy I go out you know to northern India and in this in this rural village and and uh, and, and do this 10-day meditation um, retreat at, at a center. But it was actually uh, you know it was it was it was really it was really inspiring. It was really interesting. I'd read about meditation retreats online and, and heard about them from Tim Ferriss and a few other podcasters. I've been following kind of Buddhism more generally. And um, mm-hmm. I, I started meditating maybe maybe four years ago when I was still working full time just as a as a kind of stress relief. So I didn't really think about it other than that. Just just wanted to kind of calm down and, and focus every morning for 10 minutes. 
And then I continued that and, and decided to get a bit more serious. So I did the retreat and, and <laughs> it, um, it was, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard of Vipassana, uh, yes. but it's, yes. yeah, insight meditation. So I was going from essentially 5.30 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day and then meditating for about 10 hours and then um, going to bed and then waking up and, and doing the same thing. And I think one, one of the one of the insights I had, which was uh, something I, I took with me after, was just the, um, the, the the need and the desire for for, for things and uh, just the greed and and the wanting. And that that really that really relates to to cryptocurrencies because at that time a lot of a lot of things were you know going up and the price was was skyrocketing. And so I think everybody was in a I want more. I want more. It's, you know, Bitcoin's going to a million dollars, and I was definitely not in that camp. But I, I, I did, you know, I, I did blindly follow uh, the idea that it was going to continue going up, and of course, of course, it didn't. So I think that um, meditation experience kind of helped put things into perspective. Like, hey, you know, you, you know, I've been meditating here for ten days, and I've been eating curry and rice, and literally have been doing nothing. I've been doing nothing for ten days. But I've never been happier in my life. Um, Crazy, and, and and so that that was yeah. Uh, I'm I'm going to be doing that again um, sometime this year. So, so is that something that you're going to be incorporating as like a, a yearly habit, or is it just going to be like something that you you're going to do when you feel like it in in the moment? So I, I meditate every day for 30 minutes in the morning. Okay, that's how I that's how I start my day. Just to just to focus on on breathing and just yeah just kind of focus and, and calm is, is a great way to to start uh, with that sort of mindset and then to answer your question yeah so I, I plan to do this once a year maybe twice a year um, there's a there's an article I read recently by the author of Sapiens Yuval Harari yes and yes. And he, uh, his, his meditation routine is quite interesting. I'm not quite as hardcore as him, but he, he does this retreat for two months every year. So he goes oh, wow. away. For, yeah. He goes away for like 60 days. And it's funny because he, when Trump was elected, like that was, he was on a retreat. So he didn't know that Trump got elected until like a month and a half later when he got back. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but who cares? Like nothing, you know, like whatever it doesn't really change anything. Right. And, and so I think, um, yeah, he, he's just a really good example of where you can be very productive and very successful, but then take two months off of your life every year, just to sit under a tree. So. Right. Right. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely something that I also also um, plan to do in, in the next three to five years. Um, since so many t people have been talking about it, uh, Vipassana especially, I can also put that in the show notes. Uh, maybe for the listeners who maybe don't plan to do a Vipassana in the next uh, three to five years, but still want to have some sort of experience what you have been feeling um, in, in the, in the process. What I've heard, especially is after like six, seven days, people start, uh, a lot of people in Vipassana start crying since they, um, uh, they let loose of all the things that they have in their mind, more or less, and they get to like a clearness. And, and in the last three to four days, they build up a, a happiness that they have not felt before. Um, and yeah. of course, that's, that's part of like the, the idea of like being in, 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 in silence for 10 days, more or less. But is, is there still something that you want to share here for the listeners 
maybe that they can um, that they can try to get a different or a, a similar uh, experience uh, that than that you had in 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 Vipassana, but maybe on a different and faster way, and maybe more um, maybe a more like more a way for a beginner uh, medita meditation uh, guy uh, or a lady that is interested in in doing that as well. Sure. So I think very simply where I started was with a meditation app. And I think that's really effective when you're when you're starting out because oftentimes the, the apps are guided meditation. So you actually have a voice or a person that's that you know that's telling you, okay, uh, now you know breathe in or focus on this or focus on that and uh, kind of giving you some guidance throughout throughout the meditation. And you know, you can start with that for 10 to 15 minutes each morning. And and, and really, you know, there's nothing really spiritual or religious about it. I think it's Essentially, you can think about it as focusing on your breathing and taking a little bit of time out in, in your busy busy schedule. So one, one of the two applications I'd recommend, one is called Waking Up, wakingup.com, which is uh, by Sam Harris, who's also written a great book called uh, Waking Up. <laughs> so I recommend <laughs> the book and the app. And mm -hmm. there's another app called Headspace, which I think is quite famous, but uh, I use that one um, still today. So. Fantastic. Cool. No, Headspace is great um, for all the German listeners. I also had the the founder of Seven Mind in the podcast, who are like the biggest cool. in Germany currently. Um, and uh, also there are different ones. Headspace is great. Waking up. I think there's Calm, which is great. Uh, Kevin Rose, a tech investor from from the states, also has one. Uh, it's I'm not sure how it's called, but it's also great. Uh, I, there are a lot of nice meditation apps, and you can definitely. <laughs> um, oblige your your life to meditation apps. I think they are a massive and uh, great and uh, just fantastic for for people to start with. And uh, I mean, you have been doing it as well, even though you have been on vipassanas and different things, and uh, you're still using apps currently. So I think that's cool. Um, maybe to 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 deep dive a little more into the the, the personal part, maybe. Do you have a a book that you want to specifically recommend to all the listeners uh, out there? Yeah, so uh, there's, in, in terms of meditation, not really. I, I think just practicing it is, right. uh, I, I think, the, the best way to go about it. And I think reading about it too much is, um, you know, other, other than waking up, I think that's a good book. It's, it's quite light. And that just talks about, it talks a little bit about meditation and psychedelics. Uh, that's good. Um, what, one book I read that, that was kind of similar to Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Work Week, which was, Very, very inspirational, life-changing for me as well as millions of others. Uh, it's, it's a book called um, Unscripted. Okay. And I'm not sure if you've heard of that. It's um, it's this entrepreneur named uh, Mark uh, DiMarco, and he's not really famous. He hasn't, you know, got any 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 funding. His he's run a couple startups, but his his whole approach and what the book is about is really just living an unscripted life, so to speak, and um, You know, go, going your own path, uh, building building a business, whether that's a lifestyle business or something something bigger. And uh, he's just really really funny, and, and took like three three to four years to write this book. So I would say he's like a Tim Ferriss with a bit more humor and a little bit more vulgar, and really gets the point <laughs> across. So if, if if you're still like you know if you've read the Four Hour Work Week or uh, you, you know you didn't really get it or you want something more. Um, or you're unsure about the four hour work week, I think this is a really great alternative that that has the potential to kind of give you the right the right momentum and the right push if you're if you're looking for something um yeah to, to, to either start a new career or start your own business. 
That's cool. Thanks for the tip. I will definitely also integrate that. Um, I think the four-hour work week is probably the most read book in my community, I, I suppose. So I think that could be like a good follow-up for people that have been uh, too much into Tim Ferriss and everything he does, even though he's a an excellent uh, guy um, that I I wish would have I would I would have on the podcast as well. Uh, I'm still trying. So if somebody knows him, let me know. <laughs> um, maybe uh, to to um, to go a little deeper. Uh, tools for to dos um, because a lot of people are also looking for better uh, time management, etc. Um, how are you handling your to dos, especially since you are part of like a creative uh, job? You have a creative job with doing your blogs and doing different things on that part, but also uh, doing business. Um, what what's like how you keep your to-dos together yeah so so there, there's there's quite a few things i i don't use too many tools really except for evernote calendar <laughs> so um you know i i write every week i have a weekly review where i i sit down and i look at my past week for 10 minutes and see what i accomplish and then and then i plan out the next week and then i just put that in my calendar um i get most of my writing done in the mornings between 8 a.m. and uh, noon or, or 8 a.m. and 1 p.m. So I pretty much leave. I don't have any meetings. I, I, I just I just keep that completely open and I, I keep that kind of, um, you know, maker, you know, so to speak, maker schedule for the morning. And then right. I, I keep all my meetings to the afternoon. So that's just kind of the flow of my day. I really don't change. I don't change that structure. Um, and. I don't, I don't really do yearly planning. So obviously if you have a business is different, but just in terms of my personal, my personal goals, I, I don't really think like one or five years ahead and kind of look, look at these goals every day. I, I do more of a 90 day sprint, which mm -hmm. I think is, uh, I think it's kind of a, a, a follow up or, um, a habit I gained when I was working full time because we obviously have quarterly, <laughs> we'd have everything on a quarterly basis. So I kind of right. continued that quarterly, quarterly function except for my, my personal goals. And I would, uh, you know, I'd, I'd set a goal to, you know, be on, uh, to, to write this first draft of the book or whatever it is. And, mm. you know, you can, you can accomplish a lot in 90 days. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, if you really plan things out and, and dedicate your time, I think 90 days is a good amount of time to uh to run a marathon or to uh to, you know, to write a first draft of a book or to launch it for a startup or get your mvp out i mean there's a lot of things you can do in, in that amount of time but then if i if you fail if if it's not successful for whatever reason then you've only spent 90 days so it's not not that long you still you still have you know nine months left of the year and uh i think that's kind of how i look at it where i sprint rather than rather than like looking too far into into the year right great um that's a that's a good tip thank you for for that i can also um there are different uh, different uh, thought leaders that actually write about the topic i think one a very famous one is jake knapp who also wrote the book Mike make time he also wrote the book uh, sprint which which is maybe from the idea it's a little short it's uh, how do you actually bring products from zero to 100 in five days but the idea is definitely wow. clear that okay you need to like he was uh he was um he was leading i think the the gmail part at google and now um has been part of google ventures and i think now he's um he's more or less uh, independent but um he's been a very interesting um author to write about the topic and he also brings the idea often to the table how how you can actually 
um, test your business within like 90 days, I think. So um, I'm not 100% sure, so I'm just paraphrasing, but I, I think uh, that's that's definitely something that, that he has been doing. So I think, thank you for the tip. I think that's um, that's a great view on, on personal, personal and also business goals uh, from that part. Um, thank you, Misha. I really liked it. Maybe yeah. you can also um, maybe you can also give the readers a chance to connect with you on socials if they want to deep dive further on blockchain or your personal stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I try not to be on social much, so I'm on I'm on link I'm on LinkedIn the most. So you can just type in my name on LinkedIn. But I would say follow me on my blog. Uh, you can read all my articles and uh, see my books there. And that's just MishaYurchenko.me. So that's the best place to reach me. Fantastic. We'll definitely link that up. Okay, cool. Misha, thanks for your time. I uh, really liked uh, chatting and uh, thanks for um, for the different topics, the different uh, deep dives we could make. Um, I think there's there's definitely room for a part two uh, if, if, uh, if interested. Yeah. And, uh, really liked it. Thank you. Thanks so much, Max. Appreciate your time.